Hi, I'm Maynika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Since Russia invaded Ukraine in late February, Western countries like Canada have targeted Russia by imposing sanctions on powerful Russians. In return, though, Russia has banned hundreds of Canadians from entering the country. The list of banned Canadians includes our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, basically every sitting MP, premiers, mayors, military personnel, and some journalists. I'm an advocate of engagement and surprised, disappointed, and annoyed to be on that list. Everybody else can celebrate, I won't. Mark McKinnon is The Globe's senior international correspondent. He'll tell us what being banned from Russia means for him, both professionally and also personally, and why sanctions and bans are a strategy that countries are using during this war. This is The Decibel. Mark, it's great to chat with you again. Thank you. Great to see you, Monica. I think this is the first time we're talking when you're actually in London. I feel like you're always in a hotel somewhere <laughs> in Ukraine when we're talking, so this is new. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's jump into it. How did you first find out that you were banned from Russia? The first thing I received was a text message from a friend that just said, badge of honor. And I didn't know what they were talking about, and so I wrote back, Thanks, but you know <laughs> what 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 happened, and they directed me to Twitter, where there was already a discussion going on of uh, mostly of Canadians sort of celebrating that they've been put on this list of sixty one names, uh, which I now has obviously grown to six hundred or something like that. Um, and I didn't immediately grasp what it meant, uh, but shortly after that, I received a, a WhatsApp message from a contact at the Russian Foreign Ministry that sort of confirmed, sent me like the official statement, telling me that I was. Uh, indefinitely prohibited from entering the Russian Federation. And what did that official statement say? The reasoning given was that myself and the other 60 names on this list had contributed to contributed to the anti-Russian positions of the Canadian regime. I think a lot of what happened here is is reciprocal. And so what the Russians tend to do is 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 borrow the language directed at them and, and reflect it back at the country they're in dispute with. This is like, yeah, we'll get into the list of names, but there's a lot of mayors on that list, premiers of provinces, people that, you know, probably are not actually headed to Russia. So it's it's kind of interesting maybe is to see the the parallels of the people who have been picked to be on this list then. Yeah, I really, and of that first 61, I really do think I was probably, uh, I was definitely the only one who was applying for a visa at the moment that the um, visa ban came down. I was in the middle of uh, an email exchange with the, with the aforementioned foreign minister, which they were being very welcoming and, and telling me the regular process. And so I think on that list, 60 people went har, har, har when they saw their name on it. And, and I was a little bit disappointed. So you were actually in the middle of applying for a visa to go to Russia when this all happened. Do you think that was, I don't know, that put you on their radar for some reason or something? I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 I've been getting visas to Russia for 20 years. Obviously, because of the war, I wasn't, I was like all of us, more interested in what was happening to Ukraine and in Ukraine than in spinning around to um, listen to Russia's justifications. But at some point, I wanted to go to Moscow and try and understand how this looked from there and how Russia was being affected by Western sanctions, among other things. And so what I was just sounding out was, you know, you guys always give me a visa. Is it the same? You know, do I just apply as usual or has this current situation made it impossible? And the answer was sort of like, I think it's okay. Let me check. And then this 
stop list came down and the person who sent me this uh, email, or sorry, it was a WhatsApp message. I asked them, I said, why am I on this list? You know, this is something I did, something I wrote. And they wrote back, personally, I don't think you've done anything wrong. And then immediately deleted that because in this moment, I suppose even saying that might be going too far. Huh. Interesting. Okay. As, as you uh, alluded to there, Mark, so you're one of uh, hundreds of Canadians, actually, at this point, who have been banned from Russia. And a lot of people, you know, did kind of see it as a, a badge of honor. Um, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, for example, was also banned. And he tweeted that he was, quote, honored to be included in Putin's latest blacklist. Uh, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson, also on the list, he called it laughable. But how did, how did you see it? What was your reaction? I had a very different take because, as I said, I've been going to Russia for 20 years. I see it as part of my job to try and understand, even if I you know, personally disagree with what everything that's happening, try and understand how we came to this point, what might be coming next. And also, I have a lot of close friends in Russia. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I lived there for, for three years um, back in the early 2000s, what we now call the early Putin era. And you were the Moscow correspondent, right? So that was that was your job. That was, yeah. that, that was it. And I, you know, I, I've been to weddings in Russia. I have been to baptisms. I mean, it is um, a place that I have a, a personal attachment to. So when that list came down, the first thing I did was message my Russian friends and said, listen, you know, it's been fun. I'm not sure when we could see each other again because it's difficult for them to travel to the West right now. And frankly, should we continue this correspondence? I mean, I don't want to put anybody in any danger at all. So yeah, it was a very sad moment. Um, I had been hoping to get back to Russia. I hadn't I have not been for the last two years, but that was because of the pandemic. I was issued a visa in the middle of the pandemic as well. So it was, you know, the door remained open. Um, and so what happened, whether they've decided just to pick a random uh, journalist on this side uh, to match up with some... I mean, what the Russian would say as a journalist, probably some famous propagandist on the Russian side. I don't know. I, I tend to think this is just reciprocity and, and the sanctions war going going wild. Yeah, because it, it's interesting. If you look at that list uh, of people who've been banned, especially that, that latest list, like there are some heads of news publications. So like the, the Globe's editor-in-chief is on there. The head of the CBC is on there. But you're really the only foreign correspondent that's on there. There are some columnists that are mentioned, but you're out there reporting in the field. Actually, this is your job. So that seems strange to you that you were kind of singled out in that way. It did. And if you look beyond Canada, there are very few sanctions against reporters out there. They have, there's lots of columnists, as you mentioned, that have been sanctioned. There are, are some editors. I can't think of it, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. I haven't examined the finish list and all those very carefully, but it does feel like I'm an outlier here. And it was a surprising one, to be honest. So we've talked a little bit about kind of, I guess, the personal impact of being banned from Russia. Let's let's dig into the the professional aspect of this a little bit more. Like, what what kind of impact does being banned from Russia actually have on your ability to to cover Russia and to cover this this region of the world more broadly? I think it largely this is to Russia's detriment in terms of the voices that people will read in the Globe and Mail. Since I've been put on the uh, banned list, you know, let alone, first of all, I'm not going to be able to travel to Russia, which normally I would do, even without this current situation, once or twice a year, um, traveling across the country, speaking with officials in Moscow, but also just traveling across the country and trying to get a sense of how it's been changing. You know, I think that kind of reporting has over time contributed to a better understanding of Russia and where it's coming from. You know, when I look back historically to the number of correspondents that were based in Moscow back when I lived there, we used to have a Global Mail correspondent full time, a Toronto Star freelancer full time. The Toronto Sun had someone there. The Canadian Press sort of had a 
an affiliate person, a CBC, CTV had full bureaus there, Radio Canada. So you had this massive Canadian press corps there. And I think we had at that time a decent understanding, this is 20 years ago, 15 years ago, of what Russia was, where it was heading. All of that's been closed. CBC has recently gone back and reopened, but they've had to leave since the war began. So at the moment, we have no Canadian journalists in Russia. And that has a ripple effect. Before the war, there was also this sort of emptiness. There was very few correspondents reporting from Russia. Over time, that had an effect of Russia seeming more and more alien to us. You know, we'd quote the foreign minister in a story, but we, we weren't introducing ordinary Russians to Canadians and understanding or helping them understand where this person's line of thought might be coming from. Yeah, this is a really interesting point that you're bringing up, because I guess, I mean, maybe this is part of why we were a little surprised by what happened or, or the way that things happen is because there isn't that kind of exchange that, you know, with correspondence there, with reporters there actually, ex- you know, having this exchange of information. Without that, it's actually hard to know what's going on then. And, and like I said, it has a trickle down effect. I know this from from time spent uh, in early in my career on Parliament Hill and, you know, a front page story from anywhere in the world turns into something that lands on the desks of MPs and cabinet ministers and their staffs, turns into questions and question period, turns into, you know, more thoughtful government policy. So us, collectively, the Canadian media decided it wasn't worth covering Russia anymore and diverting our resources elsewhere, or in most cases, just pulling correspondents home, has an effect and and it shrinks our engagement with important countries. All of this to say, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of engagement and surprised, disappointed, and annoyed to be on that list. Everybody else can celebrate. I won't. The current situation, of course, is the war in Ukraine. How will this ban specifically affect your reporting on this situation and, and your ability to cover it? In in terms of what we were doing in the short term, not at all. We're going back. I'm going back to Ukraine in the days ahead. I would would have done that anyways. That is where um, our interest lies right now. It is a story of what's happening to Ukraine and in Ukraine. That said, um, you know, when we were talking about long term plans, one of the top things we wanted to do was to go and get back to Russia as soon as. Uh, my schedule allowed for it because there is another country that, in my view, is being destroyed right now, and that is the Russian Federation. Um, and that's not just mm. the Western sanctions, which is obviously playing a role, but this country that there was still when I was living and working there, it was a it was a very flawed democracy. It was heading in the wrong direction, but the um, that direction wasn't decided yet. There were still ways that Russia could emerge in a different way than it has. So I, I do think that there are there's a massive, massive country that's that's it's getting darker and darker. And that's something I would like to also be reporting on, mm. you know, when we have a moment uh, to to sort of take our eyes off Ukraine. Even when you are in Ukraine, though, now, I, I guess I just wondered now that you are kind of on this list with Russia, they've got your their eyes on you a bit. There has been kind of a precarious situation for a lot of journalists in Ukraine with journalists actually being targeted as well. Are are you worried at all about your safety a bit more because because you're now on this list? It probably does change our security calculations a little bit. I remember in the first days of the war, I think right after we did one of these podcasts, um, we were, we, we being my editors and I, were concerned that Russia would quickly encircle Kiev because that was sort of the, the early narrative. And, and I was in Kiev. And I was actually arguing, don't worry about me. I've got a Russian visa in my passport. I speak Russian. I, you know, the, they, the Russian foreign ministry knows me. If I get stopped at a checkpoint, yeah, maybe they'll call Moscow and they'll probably say, Mark's fine, let him go. 
Obviously, I might get a different answer if they call Moscow right now and they, because I'm on this list. So maybe I should try and avoid a Russian checkpoint. Um, the way the war is going right now, that doesn't seem to be an immediate concern. I have, um, you know, I've been targeted a couple of times since this, um, since being put on the sanctions list. My, my phone's been, had at least a couple of attacks, uh, attempts to hack into my email accounts and my Facebook account. You know, it does feel like there's some sort of escalation of an attempt to sort of figure out who my network is. There was something very strange happened to my old Russian number got taken over and it's uh, now being used. It's te- it, it, there's a Telegram account affiliated with it that has my last name misspelled that appears to be sending pornography to my former contacts. So that sort of, it does, it, we're definitely in a weirder spot here. There's some, I'm definitely on a list of enemies rather than whatever list I existed on previously. Wow. Um, you know, I'm not sure how to, how to, you know, other than changing my password every, every now and again and avoiding Russian checkpoints, I'm not sure that changes very much about how we work. Let's talk about kind of the, I guess, bigger picture here, Mark, with, with what's happening. So, a lot of people on this list, as we talked about, kind of besides you, a lot of people have said they they have no intentions of going to Russia in the first place. So why why is Russia doing this? Why is why are they creating this list banning Canadians from entering the country of, of people who probably are not going to go to the country in a lot of the cases? Russian foreign policy is is has for for a very long time been tied to the principle of reciprocity. They would do to whatever country it was interacting with, they would, they would reflect your policies back at them. So as somebody who's been applying for Russian visas for 20 years, um, sometimes it'd be incredibly simple. Other times they'd ask you to fill out every country you've ever visited in your entire life, which for someone like me would, it would take a while. And if you ask what the difference is, the answer was always, well, this is what Canada is doing to Russians applying to go to Canada. So I suspect, and, and again, I've been mostly in Ukraine um, for most of this year, so I haven't been tracking the uh, sanctions list the way maybe our, my counterparts in the Ottawa Bureau have been. But I suspect that if you took the um, list of sort of mysteriously sanctioned Canadians and you matched them up, so Jim Watson being the mayor of Ottawa would probably be uh, a parallel for Sergei Sobyanin, the mayor of Moscow, and 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 so on, because Canada is trying to be, has been targeting along with America and the European Union, everyone that it sees is sort of having collaborated with the uh, war in Ukraine. So we sanctioned every member of the Russian State Duma. Now they've sanctioned every member of the Canadian Parliament. So it is entirely based on reciprocity. I, I'm kind of fearful to figure out who it is that I'm reciprocal for because I'm afraid I won't like the comparison, but uh, uh, I imagine we, we've, we've probably sanctioned some prominent Russian TV journalist, uh, I, I would guess. What is this meant to accomplish, though? Like, I guess, like, I understand kind of this this tit for tat. So we sanction somebody, they're banning someone from their country. But like, why is this a strategy between countries? What are, what are we doing here? So... Uh, the Canadian, the Western strategy, because it really is Canada's moving in lockstep with uh, the European Union, the UK and the United States, is to make it uncomfortable to remain part of the system in Russia, to, to, to work with the Putin regime. So for the last 20 years that, that Mr. Putin's been in power, Russia has waged war in Chechnya, in Syria, in Georgia, in Donbass, and now the rest of Ukraine. All the while, Life in Moscow got better. It became uh, there. There was no way to feel living in Russia that things were, you know, that you were a country at war. And I think this time the idea is to make it difficult for these, especially for these rich Russian oligarchs who are so key to the Putin regime, who have properties around the world, yachts and 
all the most famous harbors, who send their kids to the most famous Western schools to, to make to say, listen, we're not we're not playing along anymore. You guys can't just have it all. You can't wage war against our friends and you know, own real estate in central London and send your kids to, you know, spend your summers on a yacht in the south of France and send your kids to a Swiss boarding school. Enough's enough. We're not, you know, we're no longer partners in any way. Um, so that's that's the Western idea. And I think it's to, designed to create cracks inside the regime in Russia to make people sort of question whether it is in their personal interest to keep doing as they've been doing. Um, I think from the Russian point of view, it is about domestic political, domestic consumption, getting, you know, telling people we hit them back, they hit us, we hit them back. But also, it, it, it's about something to trade later on in, in some future moment when the war in Ukraine has hopefully come to a conclusion. It, the West is not going to just unilaterally lower sanctions. It makes it, you know, we will do this when you do this. It allow, you know, it's establishing a future trade off as, as part of the diplomatic game here, I think. And is our strategy working? Is are these sanctions creating cracks in the regime like we want it to? That's hard. That's one of the things I wanted to go to Moscow to explore. Um, I, I think that from from a distance, so far we are seeing there have been reports quoting anonymous people of folks inside or who are part of the Putin regime becoming uncomfortable with what's happening. The Russians I've uh, been in contact with for a long time, some of them being Kremlin officials, some of them being ordinary people, they're definitely feeling this in a way that they previously have not. They feel cut off from the rest of the world. Even if they weren't rich oligarchs, they liked the freedom of being able to go on a vacation to Italy. Um, They liked um, the idea of being able to get a a visa to go to some conference in London. Mm. And just lastly here, Mark, do you think you'll be able to go back to Russia someday? And and would you go back if you could? I'd go back. Yeah, I was just meeting with someone today to uh, get their sense of how long this goes. Um, Yes, I'd go back, of course, um, if I could. I I wouldn't go back under the current situation. I wouldn't um, go back uh, if I didn't feel I could leave or if I didn't feel I could do useful reporting. Um, I how long did this last? I feel, and this may apply to the the broader conflict between Russia and the West, that this will last as long as Mr. Putin's in power. Even if Russia and Ukraine agreed to some peace treaty that sort of divided Donbass in half or whatever, um, are Western governments going to lower sanctions against Vladimir Putin and his cronies after all this? I don't think so. And I don't think Mr. Putin thinks so. And so I think we're in this for a very long time this being the broader conflict between Russia and the West, even if the fighting you know, goes on pause in Ukraine. And I think that these sanctions on both sides will remain in place as long as Mr. Putin does. Mark, thank you so much for speaking with us and good luck on your next trip to Ukraine. Thank you again. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.